This is a Canicuro podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license news directly from the data vault. So welcome to the podcast powered by Cannabis Media and I'm your host, Ed Keating. On today's show, we are joined by Kevin Hart, CEO and founder of Green Check Verified, a SaaS solution that helps financial institutions serve the legal cannabis industry. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ed. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, same here, same here. And uh, Kevin and I go sort of way back. We, our companies both started around the same time, like uh, around like 2015, I think, is uh, when we kicked off a cannabis media. And that's about the same time for Green Check, correct? Yeah, it is. That's when we started looking at this problem. Awesome. And, Remember and, our early meetings. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And the fact that uh, we actually both happen to be based in Connecticut, which is... Uh, not all that rare. There are actually a number of uh, cannabis uh, service providers here in the state, even though it has few license holders. Although we'll talk more about that later because that's about to change. So, uh, Kevin, although I know you, I- I'd love for you to share your background. You know, how did you come into the cannabis industry and, and-, and what did you do before? Sure. So uh, I'm a nerd by trade. I started out in the late 70s as an assembler, pro- uh, COBOL programmer. Um, I then went to work for enterprise software companies, global customer bases, and my propeller got old, bent, and rusted through the years, but I'm still technically dangerous. And uh, what led me to the cannabis industry is the iPads in the airports that you see across the U.S. Uh, I did that project when I was running uh, the largest independent uh, Apple dealer in the world. It was a company called TechServe in New York City. And you wouldn't think there'd be applicability to that, but I was approached to build a point of sale system based upon the iPads in the airports because, you know, in, back in 2015, when you went to a dispensary, you did not know what was available. You did not know if it was available. You did not did know the different modalities and the entourage effect and things like that. And so I was flying around the country meeting with cannabis uh, cannabis uh, businesses, including places like Harborside, you know, they were the OG back then, go to the, go to the source. If you really want to learn what's going on, they were actually on their third point of sale at that point in time. But the more I worked with them and the more I understood their operations, and I like to understand the complexity of the problem in totality before you build uh, technology, I kept hearing about the banking challenge and I shelved the whole point of sale thing and said, okay, that's, that's where I want to f- try to figure out how do we solve that complex problem? How do you take two highly regulated industries that would love to work together, cannabis and then banking and financial mm-hmm. and business services, and how do you connect them together? And that became the data business process puzzle we set out, set out to uh, solve. Uh, interesting, because as you probably know, cannabis media for three years running has done our, uh, our point of sale market share report where we call... Mm-hmm every dispensary in the United States and ask, you know, what point of sale are you using? And I think last year we did something like 14,000 phone calls outbound to try and get information. And I I think at the end of the day, we found there were at least 80 point of sale software vendors. Uh, So it's a pretty crowded space. And, you know, the top, uh, you know, five have like 80% of the share and everybody else is scrounging around with a couple installs. So uh, it sounds like you made the right choice to, to, to pivot toward the money as it's opposed to it serves me well once in a while. <laughs> indeed, experience, indeed. Experience. So I, in terms of like the software and the product, I come from like a, a legal compliance software background, uh, worked on a lot of um, 
sort of processes where you're trying to help automate things that can be done frequently, that have high risk, and that um, you know because of the repeatability, you know you want to have good research and whatnot. So I, I looked at this and, and it looked like there's kind of like a an interview or an intake. You run it against a knowledge base that you're probably always updating. And then you're producing some sort of artifact. I mean, that's sort of the model I had in my head, but I'm not sure if that's the model for, for, for you in terms of the, the intake research and, and artifact. Could you sort of walk us through what the big pieces are of Green Check Verified? Sure. And, and you know, that's a parallel, but we actually have a slightly different take on it, as you, as you could imagine. So the, the first thing that we knew that we had to do is, you know, we had to uh, be able to work within the banking system, not around it. You know, the banks, you know, financial institutions were never going to look at this industry if they ever thought there was any sniff of anything that was that was wrong. So that became our stake in the ground. And then what we did is um, I applied the supply chain of commerce thinking over the supply chain of product. Okay. So how do you look at, you know, people talk about point of sale. We were just talking about that and seed the sale. Yep. How do you, how do you, you know, every one of those touch points, right, has a uh, commerce aspect to it, which is where the, the where the banks really are concerned. Yeah. How does that money? So, you know, I applied, I have a lot of background in supply chain. And so as you started looking at where those touch points are, how does in, in base points, how does a financial institution let, let know they're letting good money in and keeping the bad money out? And you have to be able to provide the proof points. You just can't say, state gave me a license. Here's my duffel bag full of cash. Here's a spreadsheet. This says what I did. No, they need, they need a little bit more than that. And so we look at account identification, account enablement, and account onboarding. How does an FI know who this business is? And there's a lot of rules and regulations about beneficial ownership. Do they have a valid lease? Do they know what that looks like? You, you know what these things are. But the FIs need to learn what that looks like in the cannabis space. And so account identification, there's that one aspect, but then it comes down to the money, right? It still always comes down to the money. Always does. Always comes down to the money. And so what we build is a compliance rules engine that looks at the inventory, the sales, and the financial uh, performance of a business at the detailed transaction level. And we run it through our patent pending compliance rules engine that says that this transaction was to a valid person for a valid product at the right point in time up against the rules and regulations, either in a medical only or adult mixed use state, because those things change on the product mm -hmm. potency, et cetera, as you know, and it passed all the other rules and regulations at that exact point in time, and therefore it gets the green check. And it's the name and it's verified and that money can enter the U.S. banking system and the financial institution and the examiners can look at that with confidence and understand the efficacy of it and then all the reporting associated with it. So interesting. I mean, one thought that just popped in my head as you were speaking was, you know, as you're checking it against that knowledge base, which is, you know, a key component of most of the products I've worked on in the last 20 years, the, you know, that knowledge base in the middle is part of that knowledge base, um, sort of the, the tax rates and things like that. Like, you know, th this needs to be lined up to like, you know, was the proper tax applied because we're in Denver as opposed to Connecticut? Like, does that come into play yet? Or is that like a future part of, of Green Check Verified? That would be a future part because right now we're attacking access to financial and business services. And so 
you know, the, the, the bank wants to know that you're paying your taxes, you're not delinquent, your, your right. business isn't going to be seized. But for them to be able to take the, uh, again, the commerce aspect of your operation and create those depository accounts and all the other services they want uh, to offer you, they want to know that you're, the money that you're presenting for deposit matters, and then mm -hmm. the rest follows later. Got Early it. on, we were looking at the tax as a, as a method to work with the states, but the states started looking at seed to sale, et cetera. So we weren't just like we weren't trying to solve point of sale problems. We aren't going to try to solve the tax problems. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, early days for me was working for one of the largest uh, compliance tax publishers in the country. And it's a, it's a fascinating, messy, messy area. So, mm -hmm. uh, but, but, you know, certainly one where because you're at that transaction level, there's probably a lot of interesting data there. So certainly things to think for, for further on perhaps. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. So, um, you know, dialing back into how long you've been in business and, and building this technology, I'm curious you know, as a guy who's been at this for a while, how much pivoting have you guys had to do? You know, and how has the space changed? Because we've certainly had to make changes at Cannabis Media, you know, a lot. It, I don't feel totally whipsawed, but it's definitely been a dynamic uh, five years. And has, has that been true for you as well? In, in some regards, 100%. I mean, you know, the working within the banking system, never around it, uh, that has been a core. Uh, early on, uh, I had this idea of how we could actually become a bank and move money to the Marshall Islands through Malta, et cetera. <laughs> we, almost, we almost bought a bank in Malta. I wish we had. As one does. So, yeah. uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, because this was pre-crypto. You, know, you and I would not be talking if I had bought that bank in, in Malta uh, <laughs> back then. But anyways, um, you know, there were a couple of other things that we thought that we really had to identify the individual uh, in terms of a KYC, you know, mm -hmm. but you know, for the banks, it's know your customer's customer, know your customer's business. That's more, that matters more. Uh, so we kept some of those tenants, but mm -hmm. we realized that, you know, the challenge for us was, and for everybody is the rules and regulations are constantly changing. I mean, it's almost yeah. daily, right? You know, we're going to talk about Connecticut, but boom, just like that. And so how does that compliance rules engine and then the number of point of sale systems that are out there that are varied and the fact that they're changing those things, how do you ingest that data and keep the compliance rules engine and keep that banking relationship going? That's what matters. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about how to make it work. And then we wrote the system. We didn't write the system and then try to you know back our way into right. teaching current. Right. Yeah. You don't want to sort of beat it into submission so that no, it works. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, in looking out at some of the stakeholders that you have to deal with um, you know, not all financial institutions are created equally. So, you know, who's willing to bank in this industry? Is it just credit unions? You know, are, are, are true banks uh, that maybe aren't federally insured? Are they able to play in this space or is it hard to find uh, partners out there? Well, it, it's, it's easier to find partners than it used to be. Okay, mm, that, yep. definitely, that definitely has changed. I think um, the current administration or the belief that the current administration is going to make this easier and that Safe Banking Act is, uh, is going to pass at some point in time. We can talk about what that looks like later, but more financial institutions are in, but we have five publicly traded banks uh, um, in our portfolio. Mm. We, have, we have a $40 million credit union. It's the same, same software. It's the same opportunity because They've seen the opportunity of these cannabis businesses. The demand's there. Back to supply demand, right? Um, the demand is there. 
the supply for these financial institutions has to be available for the cannabis businesses, but it also has to be done at a reasonable rate. Okay. Yeah. And, and then it also has to be able to scale so that the financial institutions have an incentive to one, start a program, but also maintain that program. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Now, in terms of finding these institutions and, you know, others to work with, I always like to ask in the podcast, you know, kind of what's your go-to-market strategy? You know, do you pick one state at a time and try and get all the stakeholders or one financial institution at a time, one MSO at a time? Like, how do, how do you figure that out, Kevin? Because uh, I'm sure it's a complex uh, equation. Well, based upon, you know, we, uh, we have over four dozen clients today. And so we, we cover every state but one, Alaska, okay, um, uh, right now. We, we have financial institutions that will cover any state. And we, have, we will have, by the end of June, we'll have over 1,000 CRBs actually on the platform. And so, CRB is a cannabis-related business, right? Just right. to... Okay. Dispensary, grower, manufacturer, supplier, cultivator, any level one plant touching business. Shout out to Steve Pamerling. He gets mad if you don't give him that recognition. Yeah. Uh, So any level one plant touching business actually can bank on the green check platform uh, because of the compliance rules engine. So when we look at it, um, there are people that raise their hand. So obviously we want to answer those phone calls. There are states where there are more market opportunities than not. And the early adopter states of California, Oregon, and Washington, candidly, we didn't even try to go after them in the beginning uh, because there were a lot of people that had manual programs. And I've heard this more times than not. All I want to be able to do is get through an exam. I don't want to ace my exam, which was kind of a head scratcher for me from a banking perspective. Mm. But we look at markets that are emerging and or have that opportunity. And yet we end up in all those other markets as a result. So we're pretty prescriptive in our outbound approach. uh, And we're very receptive on the inbound approach. Yeah. Now, uh, in terms of stakeholders, you touched on this a a little bit, but I'm just curious, like from almost like from a strategy standpoint, you know, who are the stakeholders that need to make you successful? Because in having seen you speak a, a number of times at conferences, I think you've referenced regulators, license holders, financial institutions, green check verified, like, you know, who else is at the table uh, or needs to be in order for, you know, th- this whole process to work? Because uh, it touches a lot of uh, a lot of people. Well, certainly within the financial institution itself, there's three key sets of stakeholders. So, <laughs> The way we refer to it is that you have to convince compliance that they can do this. Um, So can is uh, the operative word. Uh, But then you also have to be able to demonstrate and show to the board and the C-suite why they would do this. And then ultimately, when those three things are aligned in that triangle of influence, then you get to the how, which is green check. Green check Mm -hmm. enables all of that. that's the approach. And when we're talking to any of those constituencies and your ideal uh, client profile, so standard technology sales approach there in that regard, what you really want to make sure is that they're talking to and are armed to talk to the people that they need to talk to. So how does the compliance team convince the C-suite or enable the C-suite to be able to have those board conversations? How do they both enable that? How do you go to your examiner 
how do you talk to your insurance provider? How do you talk to your corresponding bank? And mm. that says you're going to get into this. Nobody likes the surprise. But when you, when you create that opportunity and that ecosystem of shared information and documented approach that has gone through the audits and exam cycles, yeah. people start to become more comfortable. So there is a bit of a flywheel effect. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Uh, just jumping ahead a bit in terms of like strategy point of differentiation, you know, how do you segment the market? Like, you know, I, I think of as we've been looking at license holders and the companies that own them for the last five years, we have some views in our head, like, you know, there's, there are MSOs, there are SSOs, et cetera. But, you know, how do you break apart, you know, who's a, a most likely uh, client a, a, as you look across the, the industry? That's up to our FI partners, candidly, Got it. because we enable all that. So we, we have some uh, FI partners that only want to talk to MSOs or will only talk to somebody who's a $250 million plus annual run rate business. They're not interested in the, you know, the other market segments for their own reasons. Okay. And yeah. they justify that. We have other, we have other folks, again, if it's a $40 million credit union, how many clients can they actually take on before oh. their concentration ratios start to become a challenge for them? And they always have to look at their exit and liquidity strategy. So that's why we built all of this information into the platform so that you can actually monitor your program. So this is where I will get on site soapbox. I promise it'll be fast, Ed. You can edit this out. <laughs> People talk about cannabis banking. That sentence is backwards. This is about banking cannabis, okay? And it's mm -hmm. not just flipping the words around, okay? The verb is banking, okay? Cannabis is the noun in the industry that you're going to bank. You, you, know, you have to be able to run an entire banking program. You can't just look at it in bits and pieces and slices of information. It all has to be available to you in one umbrella. Mm -hmm. All the information, all the decision points, all the action, and then the audit trail of what you did all has to be available to you. That's how banks run. For any other business, right? This is so highly regulated that it requires even that extra level of information. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because typically with anything, a piecemeal approach is not the best way to do it. You really need to have a strategic or environmental understanding of what's happening there. So I, I like you know how you you know change that 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 phrase and uh, you know how people need to think about the industry. So uh, sort of part and parcel with that. Um, let's talk about how our two companies work together. Uh, your firm uses cannabis media, and I'm curious, you know, how that helps you and, and how you, your team utilizes the cannabis media licensing database to uh, hopefully achieve some of your goals. Well, you know, it's interesting. You, you, you were talking about earlier how, how that information that you have, and, you know, when we first met each other. And I remember, I remember that meeting very well in our conference room down in Science Park. Yep. And we, kind, yep. we kind of both looked at each other at the end and go, I think you're onto something, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure I see it, right? And, you know, and then we kind of constantly keep running into each other. And I have to say, I've said this even outside this podcast. I love how your company has evolved and, and what it does. Because I think hands down, you you present that data the best. And the reason why you know where we really enjoy it and why it's relevant, and I'll let a trade secret out here and watch how fast other people copy this. You cannot go to a banker and say you know, the cannabis industry is $50 billion, okay? There's no context for them, okay? You can't go to a bank, and I say Toledo, Ohio, because I, I like Toledo. You can't go to a banker in Toledo, Ohio and say it's uh, whatever the number is for Ohio. 
It's a $3 billion industry. There's no context to that. Mm. You, have to, you have to get it to what's the context for them. And for us to be able to use your information, your technology to identify what that market's really like, that helps us identify those FIs that we should talk to. And it helps them understand what that business is because they know these cannabis businesses as, you know, they drove by a dispensary or they heard there's a cultivator over here, but there's still that, there's still that perception versus reality that's out there. And the information that you guys have is just so exceptional. It helps us keep our thinking clear. That's great. I know there's one CEO I've interviewed on the podcast before, and he said the way he used it as a C-level executive is when the board calls and says, I've got questions, he says, I've got answers because I've got yep. cannabis media. And I can say how many cultivators are you know here in this you know valley of California or whatnot. So uh, so that, that that's great to hear. And I think you're right about the context piece because you know when I talk to people about Connecticut, I'm like, oh well, you know, there's some cannabis licenses here. You know, one, we know how many there are, but the interesting thing for me is how many hemp licenses there are in Connecticut vastly outstrips the number of cannabis licenses. Most people don't know that because it doesn't get the play, but you know, it's, it's information that, that, that is available. So I was going to ask you sort of, uh, from a, a hemp or CBD space, does that come into play at all for your financial institutions? Like, th- is that an issue for them or because it's kind of federally legalized, it, it's no longer a hurdle for, for those businesses. It, it, it does come into play because a lot of folks still think that's uh, the toe in the water. Mm. Uh, and then what we actually show them is that you can more in a more compliant fashion and easier, actually bank a marijuana business than you can a hemp business, you know, uh, huh. because, of some of the com- because of the information that's available and yeah. the information that you can extract, um, you know, within the CBD and hemp space, there's a, there's a lot of gray area there, right? Is yeah. it hot hemp? Is it not? Who's saying it is? Who isn't, you know, in the marijuana space? I mean, these are controlled products and you have a lot more information. Um, and so we've had people approach us to say, oh, I never want to do marijuana. I want to talk about this. We walk them through it and they're like, oh, I never want to do hemp or CBD. Let me get into the marijuana space. Yeah. Yeah. We well, sort of like uh, mixed use customers, but was well, like, you know, are you in a highly regulated business? So, you know, for example, it was probably about a year or so ago that Florida licensed or allowed to be licensed anybody who wanted to sell CBD. We added like 5,000 records to our database. And all I really asked people to do was check a box if you're going to sell CBD. And as I looked at the data and analyzed it, it was sort of who you'd expect. It was every grocery chain, every gas station chain, every convenience store. And, and why, Kevin? Well, because they already deal in heavily regulated products like gasoline, lottery tickets, tobacco, you know, maybe fireworks, whatever. But all that stuff they already have a whole compliance scheme for dealing with this CBD check that box too. Okay. Next. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made sense. Whereas I think other States just aren't quite sure how to, how, how to regulate that or if they want to, you know, dip their toe in. So, uh, so interesting. Um, Cause I, I think we're going to see more of these products uh, coming down the pike and seeing them in our local stores here in Connecticut and whatnot, you know, Cumberland farms, I'm sure will be selling CBD. Right across the already. street. Right across the street there. But isn't this, so the most fascinating thing about this, Ed, to me is, okay, so here you have the federal government, marijuana is illegal. And then you have all these states actually creating these programs, okay? And very well-defined programs. Mm -hmm. Now you talk about hemp CBD, and let's flip the script. The federal government now said, go ahead and do what you want. 
Okay, farm bill and everything else, you can go do this. And then the states are like, hold on, hold on. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah, right. And some of them have been the same plan. And some of them have abdicated the license creation to to the feds. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. we're not going to run. We're not going to issue licenses in, in this state. You know, the, the feds can do it. And so, yeah, it's definitely made for a, a, a messy situation. So it'll, it'll be it'll be curious. I mean, you know, as this industry moves in fits and starts, it's it's a challenge for all the all the stakeholders. So yeah. so thinking of that, you know, we've got expanding markets. Um, we've got New Jersey, New York, Arizona. So. Well, the question I had for you, Kevin, is when a new state comes on or is about to come on, what does that mean for you? Do you immediately start reaching out to the financial institutions that serve New Jersey or, you know, do you have to wait for something else to happen, like licenses to be issued? Like, what, what is that timeline like when a state goes uh, uh, legal or, you know, is about to become legal? There isn't a state that that has a program or is about to have a program that we already don't have a physical presence in. Okay, yeah. because this is about being prepared and this is about uh, understanding why you may do that. You don't have to wait for the laws to pass. You have to be ready to act upon what those laws look like. And, you know, in any of those states, right, there are startup businesses, there are startup costs, start identifying those, start establishing those financial relationships. So, you know, we go into every state and we create outbound marketing and we educate them about what the market was expected to look like. Here are the things that you should be thinking about and are you interested? And this helps identify the forward thinking financial institutions in those states that want to be ready. So, 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 so are you guys sort of like, uh, if you will, like the financial ambassadors, like the, perhaps the first people to knock on their door that, that says, listen, we're in 40 states already. You guys are next. Listen to what we have to say. Like, you know, how, do, how does that happen? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what we do. And we, yeah. we, re, we re, reach out to them. And again, everybody else is going to start doing it now. But, you know, that's that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it makes sense. I mean, as these states come on, and obviously there's lots of others in the industry that try and guess market size or future market size, which is, you know, always, uh, you do know. Do your homework. Just yeah. do your homework. Use cannabis media. It, you yeah. know, the information is available. It, it truly, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. So speaking of homework and home state, uh, Connecticut, uh, I just got the email from Governor Lamont a couple hours ago that he's going to sign it once it makes it to his desk, which could be you know a matter of hours, maybe tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure, like me, you've read all 300 pages of the regulations. <laughs> we actually have. Of course you did. Oh. Of course you did. You have to. So well, the, guy which, which, wrote, the guy who wrote the Connecticut program originally, the medical program, works at Green Check. Trust I met me. him at I met him at your offices. John Gadea. Trust yeah. me, he's read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's great. So yep. what's your take? I mean, you know, it, it, it's full of all sorts of compliance stuff, some interesting license stuff, social equity pieces. I mean, there's a lot there. There's too much. Okay. 300 pages. All right. 300 pages of legislation translates into how many pages of rules and regulation. I don't know. Right. I don't know how you unpack all that and actually put it and make it uh, implementable. Um, and I'm super happy that they put the, a lot of the social equity uh, yep. clauses in there, and, you know, way past due and that needed to happen. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, in Connecticut, the land of steady habits, one of our steady habits is overcomplicating things, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think with 300 pages, we might've gone a little too far. And yeah. and overcomplicated. 
the other thing I think the unfortunate thing that I think is going to happen is um, it's going to get jammed up in the courts. I think I think you're going to see I think you're going to see some lawsuits come out, you know, just based upon the fee structure that they're looking to put on existing businesses, you know, to charge an existing dispensary a million dollars to create an adult license or three million dollars for the growers. You know, there's no other fee structure like that anywhere. It's yeah, it's it's a good point. I mean, as we're talking about in preparation for today's uh, broadcast, you're just looking at other states because uh, back in 2017, Cannabis Media wrote a book called the Marijuana Licensing Reference Guide, where we looked at all the states and all the rules and regs and how they were different. It was kind of a byproduct of building the database. And you know, one of the things that we looked at was fee structure, tax structure, and whatnot. But you know, just simply, you know, what does it cost to get a license in Oklahoma? $2,500. What does it cost to renew a license? $2,500. Okay. And we're at a million dollars to get a license or Arizona, which has a rather robust program. It's been around for years. They decided to issue adult licenses. Now they gave them to, they gave the ability to the med uh, license holders to get uh, an adult license. So that was kind of a built-in easy to implement program, $25,000 was the fee. And they all did it within the first month and many did it within the first 72 hours. Like, right. hey, yeah, that, 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 that's an easy deal. $25,000 and I double the value of my uh, of my license? Sure. So yeah, I agree. It's those, those are some pretty big fees. The only other state that's coming up with fees like that that I've seen lately is our neighbor, Rhode Island. They have mm-hmm. some pretty ridiculous uh, fees as well. So right. I don't know what that's going to do since so many of our MSO, uh, since so many MSOs own a lot of these licenses. But there still are independents here in Connecticut. And, yeah. You know, you, you, and if you look at 280E and everything else, I mean, you know, quick math, you probably have to sell $5 million worth of product. Oh, yeah. To generate a million dollars in income to just pay the fee. And you're still not making any money still. You know, so how long is it going to take to sell five million? You got to pay the million, and then you're still chasing your profitability. Does it enhance the value of your business? A hundred percent. But you know, do you want to? Are you going to put that much money out and bet on the come? Especially when a dispensary can, for every what is what did they say? For every twenty five thousand people in population versus twenty five hundred for a liquor store, you know, you you're adding a lot of competition nearby. Right. Right. Huh. Well, although I remember currently looking at uh, the state of New York, it's like one dispensary for every 500,000 people because, you know, they, they weigh under under did that one. So, yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's definitely going to have, as you said, a lot of lawsuits. I mean, it follows a, a, a cycle where, yeah, it got passed. Yay, celebration. Now it's going to be 18 to 24 months before anything happens because of the lawsuits and all the other stuff that's going to happen. And they're going to have to take those 300 pages of rules and regs and, and figure out where to go next. But let's take it up to another level, looking at the federal level. So, you know, for all the years I've been in the industry, there's been talk about banking and tax reform for the cannabis industry. What's your take on that? And and what impact would that have on Green Check Verified if suddenly things got closer toward federal regulation? Like, does that impact your business at all? Is it a boost? Is it a hindrance? Is it who knows? It's gas on an open flame. (laughs) It's a gigantic boost. And you know, it, you know, th- I really firmly believe this. And we talk to a lot of people, so it's not just me, you know, free time thinking. Um, we're at the BSA low bar today for this industry. Uh, as more and more states come online 
and as more mixed programs, medical and adults, I mean, those lines are being blurred. Um, what's also, you know, the federal government is never going to just simply green light you know, this industry. The cannabis domestic market, and you know these numbers way better than I had, but domestic cannabis sales, legal, illegal, et cetera, combined, it's about $100 billion a year. Right. right. So we're right now today, we're talking about 20, 25 billion dollars that are going through dispensaries or licensed licensed mm -hmm. cultivation. Right. Well, that was $75 billion in commerce is still going on. The Treasury Department, under no circumstance, is ever going to go green light, let it into the banking system. Not going to happen. Right. So State Banking Act, for all its language, there's a few things. OK, it says you will be able to bank compliant cannabis businesses without fear of prosecution. There's not a period at the end of that sentence. OK, the comma says provided you're following all the rules and regulations. So. Washington can't help themselves. There will be more rules and regulations. Right. We touched on the Treasury Department. They're not going to just green light, you know, all the illicit money coming through. The BSA is at the low bar it is today. And I firmly believe, too, because you're looking at decriminalization of the plant, the product, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not talking about expungement or any of those other things. What you're going to see in the very near future in a corollary is interstate commerce. Mm -hmm. now, now it's going to get even more complicated for source and use of product, supply chain of commerce, supply chain of product. And I firmly believe in the next five years, you're going to see international cannabis commerce. There's a reason why all that product comes from Mexico. Perfect grow climate, et cetera. Yep. And, you know, we have million square foot grow facilities here in Connecticut you know, cost per pound versus tons that you're going to get out of Mexico at right. into the cost. So there's just a lot of variables that are going to come. And I think the folks in Washington are going to take that longer term view and say, okay, how do we not create these problems? How do we, how do we put the control points in so that they don't become problems? So again, with the compliance rules engine at its core, I think it puts green check in an exceptional position. Yeah, no, I agree. And and with the international piece, that's that is quite interesting because we already see that happening now with Canada, you know, doing some exporting. But you know, e e how long will that business last? Because in Europe, there are a lot of places that have really great grow environments that could become sort of like uh, the green bread basket. I've heard it described of Europe and supply all the continent, like you know, I think Portugal, Spain, etc. You know, places where they can grow wine and other things, just like California. Why not do that here instead of shipping stuff? across from Canada as, as a liquid or, 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 you know, biomass from Colombia. I mean, that just is complicated and expensive. So, um, so, well, it's, it's certainly been a dynamic five years and a dynamic, uh, interview today, Kevin. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you for, for joining us. This has been uh, great. And uh, I look forward to seeing you hopefully at a conference in person before too long. Uh, we've okay. already sent our salespeople out to a couple of them, uh, so far in these last couple of weeks. Are you going to be are you going to be in Vegas in August? Absolutely. Absolutely. I will be there. We'll we'll uh, we'll get together in person. Excellent. It's Excellent. We'll have to go to Vegas when we're only probably 30 miles apart here. Yeah, I know. Right. True, true, true. So uh, well, well, thank you. Um, I'm your host, Ed Keating. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault.